Hello, and welcome to Relevate Presents Scholarship, the podcast where we use real research to analyze, scrutinize, and humanize your favorite TV and movie couples. I'm your host, Eric Goodcase. Today, we are joined by Dr. Cameron Brown, a marriage and family therapy professor at Texas Tech University and a tortured Cleveland sports fan. Cameron, thanks for joining us. (laughs) It has been pretty torturous at times, that's for sure, especially when you look at those those filthy, awful Browns. Yeah. Yeah, Hopefully, we can at least win uh, one game this year. We'll see. (laughs) Yeah, I, I, I knew I had to introduce you that way, just so... Everyone knows that even though someone can go to school and get a doctorate, they still have really um, not so intelligent thoughts like, hey, maybe the Browns will win a game. I pick them every year to win the Super Bowl. Yeah. Every year. Every year. Yeah. And you're a smart guy in every other aspect of your life. But <laughs> Oh, that's great. Fandom yes. can be blinding. Yes, yes. Thankfully, LeBron James has pulled through for us at least once, and he at least has us posting winning records pretty consistently. We'll see that to hang your hat on. Yeah, that's something, something. All right. Well, um, Cameron, thanks for joining us. Uh, We'll kind of start off by getting acquainted with some of the things that you're doing research on. So uh, if you wouldn't mind kind of introducing what your research is, kind of why you got into it or something interesting. Yeah, yeah. Well, first off, I'm really happy to be a part of this. Uh, I always love hanging out with uh, Kansas State University um, folks such as you two. And uh, yeah, so uh, my research predominantly focuses on couples. That's broadly what I enjoy researching. Um, And then more specifically, I have kind of two separate foci underneath that. Number one is aspects of kind of contemporary sexuality. That entails things such as... um, how uh, electronics, digital age, social media kind of works within relationships and couples, and then pornography falls underneath cat- this category as well. And then my second area that I like to focus on is, is aspects of chronic disease within couple relationships, how couples do that dance, that type of thing. Um, I, uh, I really got into researching couples. It actually kind of started at a... At, um, uh, a younger age, whenever my family and I would go to a hotel, I always loved looking out the window and just watching people on the street <laughs> and watching them interact. I know that sounds really creepy, right? But um, but no. And then as I got older, I even remember going to weddings when I was in college and looking at like the couple and thinking like, how did they get together? Like, how does this work? <laughs> and so that's really kind of what sprung board um, or sprung me into researching couples, understanding them better. Um, is kind of that more personal interest of, of how couples make it work, despite differences, despite backgrounds, despite hardships, despite the, the situation that they're in. That's beautiful. We're going to be spending today's conversation talking specifically about porn. So when did you start kind of researching porn specifically? I know that's gonna. I, I wonder if you were to ask that to anyone else, what type of answer you would get. Um, <laughs> but uh yeah, so researching porn, that, so that started during my undergraduate days is um, 
I, uh, um, I remember sitting in classes and just talking with friends and family, and it seemed like uh, that everybody was viewing porn and watching porn, yet nobody was really talking about it. Yeah, for sure. And as I dug a little bit deeper in, in the sense of um, uh, the existing research around porn, is I found that there's not a lot of academic research out there that, um, that evaluates porn through a scientific lens. And so um, I saw this as not only something that was interesting for me is to better understand how porn works with individuals and within couples, but then also just an opportunity to the fact that it was kind of a, a dead spot in the scientific uh, uh, arena. And I wanted to kind of help fill that dead spot. So that's kind of where we're at. Very cool. All right. So believe it or not, there are not very many TV shows and movies that revolve around porn. <laughs> so we had to go deep into that aren't, that aren't porn themselves that aren't right? porn themselves yeah that's a whole different <laughs> yeah. story yeah that would be a t completely different podcast i think it's a little beyond our beyond yeah. our scope probably yes yes <laughs> um but uh joseph gordon levitt uh is his direct director of debut writing debut as well i think i believe so um uh great, made the movie don john which is what we're going to be talking about today so when did you first see Don John? Was it something you saw right away? Was it? <sighs> yeah, I, I didn't see it. Um, what year did it come out? I know it was a few years back. Now. 2013. Yeah, 2013 is when it came out. I didn't mm -hmm. see it right when it came out. I saw it my first time um, when it hit Netflix for a bit. I think it was on yeah, Netflix yeah. for about a year or so. Yeah, um, that's right. And um, yeah, I mean, I was... I remember even seeing it on my social media feeds and it, there seemed to be a pretty big buzz about it because this was one of the first kind of not not necessarily an indie film, but a mainstream film that the a, a central component of it was about porn um, and an individual that viewed porn and 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 um and his definition didn't struggle with porn, but then also struggled with porn. And mm -hmm. and so um, and there's lots of TV shows and and uh, movies out there and that, you know, make a, a few jokes about porn, but I don't, I haven't seen one where the central focus was about porn right. in such a way that Don John was. Yeah. And there might be like an episode of a TV show mm -hmm. devoted to uh, talking about porn or porn might come up as a theme, you know, briefly, but to yeah. have a, a story centrally focused around it is completely novel in the sense that yeah. I can't think of anything else that... Ooh. Yeah, which is and that just so astonishes me. And this just kind of furthers um, why I originally got into porn. <laughs> Don't take that line out of context, right? Yeah, but, I'm going to make uh, that part of the trailer. <laughs> just, just that line <laughs> is um, is it? Was, pornography is one of those things that is uh, is everybody's watching it. Everybody has had some type of a link to it in some capacity, but nobody's talking about it. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily in our mainstream media. Yeah. Um, yet, I mean, there's some research, recent research and evidence that talks about how, um, I believe the most recent one that I saw and is, is that about 60 to 70% of men and, and close to 40% of women have viewed porn in some capacity over the past 12 months. And, and in many cases, uh, much, much more frequently mm -hmm. yet it, it's, it's not being talked about. It's a multi-billion dollar industry. It's worldwide mm -hmm. sex and porn related type things are some of the most common things that are, are searched for on the, on the internet yet. Nobody's ever really highlighting it. And, 
in um, in such a way that Don John has. So yeah. um, despite uh, one's feelings about the movie or whatever it may, it seems like people generally liked it. I think it got like an 80% review on yes. Rotten Tomatoes. That's pretty I good just for, that a, too, yeah. for a debut movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it is astonishing that it, it possibly seemingly took this long for a movie to, to highlight porn in such a way um, here. It's especially because everybody's, everybody's watching porn, but nobody's talking about it. Yeah. And I think it, that's very true. And I was thinking about this the other day when I was thinking, like, thinking about what we were going to talk about. And there was um, an adult actress recently, I think it was November, who died by suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it was, she was probably like, she was one of the highest ranked on like Pornhub or like, she was very like well known. She was very common. Yeah. Like, yeah. You didn't see anything about that. And like, probably millions of people saw this person like, sought this person out for entertainment and other things, but still. And yet the reaction to a suicide, a very tragic early death, she was like 22 or 23, I think. Yeah. Was, um, it was just, it was just very interesting. And I, I remember reading, I don't remember much about it, but I remember reading one of the articles that like, it was one of three suicide deaths in the past like year or so. And you didn't hear about this very much. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy again, that the, some of these celebrities are probably bigger than some traditional Hollywood celebrities. Right. And yet nobody, you, you, it's not necessarily water cooler talk. Like yeah. I, I don't think when I'm going to go fill up my water bottle at the, at the drinking fountain or, <laughs> or going to get a drink from uh, Starbucks or somewhere else that I, I don't hear other people in line talking about, Hey, did you hear that? The star, blah, blah, blah um died by suicide like what do you think about you don't it's not necessarily talked about and it may get a small headline on a newspaper or a news outlet but you don't see it very often yet it is a very large industry these people are are quite famous they have lots of views and yet not too many people are talking about it yeah and i'm sure there's lots of people who are you know still watching or still watching her videos or movies and have no idea probably probably just because no one talks about it, not because mm-hmm. they're they don't care or they're not interested, just because no one said anything. Really, yep, it hasn't been yep. out there very much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, one of the very first movies to kind of address pornography as its kind of main theme. What were your kind of overall impressions watching it, and of the movie and the characters? You know, that's a that's a really interesting question. Um, what I thought about it, you know, I thought it was a very fascinating film and interesting. It just at the bare minimum, the fact that it was about porn, um, despite very high rates of acceptance of pornography in the sense that it's it's uh, an OK or acceptable um, form of sexual expression or behavior, let alone just the rates of of how often we view porn and how many people are viewing porn. The fact that those two things are so high, we we barely see it talked about in TV shows and movies there might be a, a, a joke or an episode or um, here and there throughout a TV show or a movie or a song whatever it may be but but it's it's never really a central component to a film and so I thought that was fascinating that Don John that that porn was the very essence of this film and uh, the main characters um, dance if you will with his pornography habits and how he chooses to view porn and and um, and the reasons behind porn, so I thought that was really fascinating. With that being said, I mean there was quite a 
a few jokes and comments that were quite objectifying of women and men in general, um, and uh, and 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 how they're rating each other and that type of stuff. So, with I mean it, that was hard to take from time to time. However, the the overall theme of, of porn being a central focus to this film, I thought was really fascinating and and I think kind of risky. Um, the fact that I think this was Joseph Gordon-Levitt's like directorial debut, I, I thought that was really interesting, um, and it seemed like to me that it was pretty widely acclaimed as well um, by others. I think it got like 80% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, and I, I probably, I don't really know, I haven't read the reviews, but probably because it was just so different in the sense that it was focused on pornography. So I thought that was really interesting to me and it was fascinating to watch and, and understanding and knowing what we know through research about porn um, and how it plays out in individuals and couples' lives. And this research is still within its adolescence as we continue to gain more knowledge. But applying what we know about porn, which we'll talk about here in the next bit, um, with with seeing this film was really interesting and fascinating. And um, so mm-hmm. I, I thought it was interesting. Yeah, same. I was watching it with my fiance yesterday. And actually, I didn't like this movie the first time I saw it. Mm-hmm. And watching it a second time, while taking notes on it, I think helped. <laughs> but <laughs> no I, I gained a greater appreciation for some of the things that he was getting at. Because when I first watched it, I just kind of thought the message was very simple. But I think there's some like more um, intricate messages that I wasn't getting credit for before. Yeah, we'll, we'll get yeah. into that when we get there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, let's let's get into it. Um, yeah. So starting from the beginning. Um, the initial kind of introduction to him and his friends is in the club. And I was just kind of uh, wondering what your initial reactions were, you know, seeing him in the club. What are the things that you're kind of like learning about him as a character? Yeah. You know, I thought that was so interesting um, that that, I mean, the, the opening opening scenes to the movie was a lot of uh, fairly graphic images of, of women and, and media and culture and that type of thing. Yeah. And then it, it jumped in right into the club scene. I felt like that was done very intentionally. And yes. He almost kind of got this feel that he was this player, if you will, or womanizer, or however you want to put it, um, that his life cent- centered around um, kind of living in the moment. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, and hooking up with women and that type of stuff, um, yeah. I, I just felt like you really it really captured well this. Uh, the only word that's really coming to my mind is kind of bromance. This kind of mm-hmm. how how these men are talking to each other about women and and yeah. kind of the goals for the evening and that type of thing. Um, and uh, I, I felt like it it really then set up this interesting dynamic where I think it was at the very beginning where he talked about the things that matter to him in his life. Yeah. And what were they again? It was it was friends. His it was pad, girls. His dad, his car, uh, my boys, my girls, my porn, and his, his family yeah. and his church too. His family and his church. church. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting. Um, so that fact that that was laid out that way, because um, it, it's I think a lot of times. In our society, we view porn and and or sorry, understand porn in this like vacuum Mm -hmm. that that people these these quote these people that view porn are isolated, if you will, that they 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 don't have relationships. They're not necessarily into real women or real men. They're not churchgoers. They're not you know a part. They don't cherish their family. I think sometimes we look at these the we understand these porn views are in this vacuum when really people that view porn 
it's across all. Um, research has indicated that people that are highly religious view porn. Uh, research has indicated that people both young and old view porn at fairly high rates. Men and women view porn, although differently and at different rates, they still view porn. That many people, whether they are single or in relationships, view porn at similar rates, that it doesn't change very much. So I thought it did a great job of breaking this fact that um, that porn is something that is isolated or in a vacuum, but that really it's it's, I don't want to say normal people, but just a lot of everyday people view porn. Yeah, it's not a homogenous group. And I think sometimes mm -hmm. we kind of view it as a homogenous group, but it's really quite a diverse group of people that yeah. view pornography or enjoy pornography. Yeah. And, you know, can I can I even back up? You sure can. One of, one of the things, uh, it, so it this, the movie opened up with a lot of scenes about, um, of, of women in commercials mm -hmm. and music videos. It's actually from a music video, Satisfaction. So it's Ooh, from okay. uh, Benny Benassi. I'm going to say that wrong. I guess it's from that music video. Those, and it's the same idea, right? Those sexualized kind of portrayals of women. And yeah. it really, it sets up how he views women, the character, John, and how um, he views sex as well. Yes, yes. So it, it, it from the very get-go, all I could really think about is, and this is one of the things that academic literature and research is really, really struggling with, is um, is this idea that that um, we don't really understand what porn is and how porn is um, is defined, if you will. So, um, for instance, um, I've interacted with people that uh, they define porn as graphic, penetrative sex that is on video and the intention is to stimulate, right? Stuff that you'd find on Pornhub or whatever it may be. Um, and, uh, and that's what porn is. But then there's also this other – these a wide spectrum of other people that say porn is um, going to a nude beach, right, or a topless beach, mm -hmm. Or porn is simply a Victoria's Secret magazine. That's pornography. And so it's this interesting, as, as all of these kind of uh, images and, and videos of, of women and men that were suggestive in nature, it got me thinking of, of, of how do we define porn as a culture or society? And I, I can't remember exactly who said it, but um, it, it's this very common line of, I, I can't tell you what porn is, but I know it when I see it. That's and, a Supreme Court justice said that. Yeah. I don't remember I which remember one. Who it, was. it was Kennedy or something like that. I can't recall. I'll look so, it up. Yeah. And so it's, it's fascinating. Um, and that puts researchers and those hoping to understand this more in this really kind of difficult predicament of really trying, because how can we measure or, or examine something that we don't even know how to define, right? Um, that we don't know symptoms of, we don't know necessarily what aspects or, or facets make it pornographic in nature. And uh, it got me thinking about a re recent research study that was done by Brian Willoughby and Dean Busby over at BYU, where they actually surveyed thousands of people online, and they had them rank, it was like 20 or so different situations of what porn was, right? And they had lines such as, Pornography is a is like the Sports Illustrated swimsuit edition. Pornography is um, 
someone uh, or two of a nude person or two nude people. And to kind of get a better grasp of how people defined what porn was. And what was fascinating is the number one thing that's, that most people gravitated towards of what their definition of porn was. And I got it written down here, but it was uh, a heter heterosexual couple having sex in such a way where the man is penetrating the women on video. That was the top definition of how they defined porn, something along those lines. Yeah. yeah. When, and so, um, these opening scenes of this movie showing all of these different men and women in suggestive ways and, and, and different types of clothing and that type of stuff was, was really fascinating to me. Cause I, I, I got thinking like, is there somebody watching this film that would define that as pornographic? Yeah. And if so, what components of that was pornographic? Do you see mm -hmm. what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So I think maybe it's meant to be um, kind of like setting up talking about porn without it being porn, but certainly there are many people who might, view that as pornographic in itself yeah yeah and even is is that an age thing right like mm -hmm. i i don't know if i would want my three-year-old son watching these opening scenes right. although there wasn't <laughs> if i recall there wasn't any explicit nudity nudity right mm -hmm. however there were some really suggestive videos and pictures and and so would i consider that pornographic to him so really is porn in the eye of the beholder if you will of is it is it per individual and how they define porn just interesting things that as, that as a field in regards to research and understanding pornography is I, I think we're really trying to grasp is how do we define porn. And side note, the uh, Supreme Court justice was Potter Stewart. This was, um, trying to see what year this was. Potter Stewart? Yeah, 1964. So it was quite a while ago. He was appointed by Dwight Eisenhower. So it was quite a while ago that this guy oh, all right, was right around. On. I had no idea. That's interesting. Yeah. The, yeah. the fun things you learn listening to this podcast. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I did want to make a comment about just kind of the interactions at the bar. Now, I have to be fully honest here. It's like, I don't understand how any of that happens. Like, the look to the dancing, to the making out, like, it didn't look like there was any talking going on at all. It was just like, so I don't know if that's realistic or not, but that was how uh, how John did it. And I just remember watching and thinking, like, is this, is this how this goes? I don't understand this at all. Like, I don't. <laughs> it didn't work that way for me either. It didn't, yeah. and it never worked for me that way either. Um, there was lots of talking going on. And, and maybe if you asked my wife, maybe there was too much talking. She was maybe getting annoyed with me. But um, yeah, and that is actually really interesting, right? The fact that it just showed that it just naturally happened this way. They didn't talk about anything meaningful or even personal. Just yeah. went from a look, the dancing, to making out, to in the cab, to being at home in bed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it kind of brought up this idea of like, that we'll get to later about kind of like seeing sex as a mutual thing or relationships in general probably as a mutual thing as opposed to like a means to an ends for a person. Yeah, 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 yeah. We would like to interrupt your current listening experience to introduce you to another podcast you might like. Thank you. 
I'm Elisa Lucas from Best Forevers, a podcast for kindred spirits. I'd like to start a movement where we spend more time loving on our friends because although friends are important to us, they're often in the shadow of other relationships. So if you want to love on your friendships a little bit more, embrace friendship a little bit more, or just appreciate your friendships a little bit more, then this podcast is for you. We'll explore all the different ways friendships take place, share the amazing stories of friendship, and discuss best practices for the difficulties that friends may experience. It's time to embrace friendships because without our friends, who would we be? So check out Best Forevers on iTunes, Stitcher, and all the other podcasting listening venues. And be sure to follow Best Forevers Pod on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Part that I wanted to bring up was this is kind of while he's having these hookups, he's kind of juxtaposing that to his experience with watching porn and kind of comparing the two. And my first initial question, I think I have an answer now, but I wanted to pose it to you as well. You know, he talks about porn being so much better than real sex. I'm not going to use his words, I'll just say, than intercourse with a woman. <laughs> what kind of is the driving force behind continuing to go out? Is kind of what I was wondering when I first watched. I don't know if you had any impressions originally. Yeah, especially since he said um, that uh, girls in porn are just are better or different than real girls, right? Yeah. So uh, the fact that he held this love of porn in such high regards, why did he continue to go out? I thought that was really interesting. And the only thing that I could really think of is that he was possibly looking for a girl that was similar to girls that he watched in porn um, and what it was like. And, and that's kind of, I didn't really puzzle that together until he saw Scarlett Johansson. Right. Mm -hmm. And he, I think he almost created the strategic plan of being able to um, get with her in a way. And, and so that was really the only thing I could think of. I don't know. What do you think? I and the more I watched it, so this kind of came as long watching more. It's like it seemed more like a status thing for him. And so it was about keeping up his streak. It was about kind of like appearing a certain way. It's about like, um, because I think at the very beginning of the movie, he's very focused on status in terms of being seen a certain way, Uh and um, by his family, by his friends, by whoever, and kind of like giving off this uh, view of who he was. And uh, we'll get to it later, but he kind of starts to shed that a little bit as time goes on. And I think when he talks about porn being a way to get away, it's, it's you know, bullshit fades all the way. Everything mm-hmm. kind of like goes away. He kind of just is losing himself in it. You know, maybe he's getting away from some of those pressures that he feels in terms of like feeling a certain status. Yeah, yeah, possibly. That's actually a really, really interesting point of, um, yeah, and there some research already suggests that uh, a, a lot of people view porn in for different reasons. Uh, overwhelmingly, um, at least at this point in time, research has indicated that that predominantly men view porn uh, for uh, an autoerotic experience, right? So something, an individual sexual experience, it's stimulating that type of thing. But then he even uh, used it as an escape. He was able to lose himself. Um, There's actually some individuals uh, that view porn as an emotional avoidance. Um, There's even a scale that was developed. I think it's, uh, if I remember correctly, it's called the pornography consumption inventory that highlights different 
reasons why people view porn, including education, emotional avoidance, uh, sexual stimulation, that type of thing. And uh, it seems like it was kind of this, you got this idea that porn wasn't just about a sexual stimulation. It was about him looking for something, uh, getting lost, feeling connection, something like that throughout yeah. the entire movie. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So we kind of see that initial scenes with the porn use and the club and kind of getting a, see a view into his lifestyle. So you see him working out, going to the gym, going to church, going to see his family. Um, yeah. What were your impressions of his family in terms of like, you know, he doesn't exist in a vacuum. He was kind of brought up within this family. Like, where do you see kind of like some of those um, influences and where do you see like, what do you see when you see his family? Yeah, well, when I saw his father, I saw an older version of him, right? That's yeah. what it totally seemed like. Mm-hmm. Watching, even they had the same type of tank top on. Mm-hmm. Like it was, they had very similar type of mannerisms. They cherished the same type of values, that type of thing. It was fun seeing this interaction of like he, how near identical he was to his father. Yeah, and there was no like uh, question to the, like, who's the boss, right? Tony Danza is the boss. Mm-hmm. Yep. Anyone? Yep. Anyone? Yeah. Tony Danza. <laughs> okay. Just making sure that joke lands somewhere. Even if it's just laughing you. somewhere. Someone's yeah. laughing somewhere. As long as you're <laughs> laughing. But yeah, he was kind of very much the the head of the family in a in a way, and very much like <laughs> I think you're right, like very much just an older version of John. Yeah, and, and it was very that kind of stereotypical. Um, a family of here it was the men sitting at the table, mom is in the kitchen preparing the food, men are watching football, talking about stuff, cussing, um, and uh, almost this kind of interesting type of masculinity. Mm-hmm. And yet, uh, and yet, here's uh, the mom preparing food and then bringing it in. It was, yeah, it was really interesting dynamic between all of them. And one day you're going to come home and tell me you met her. That was, <laughs> yep. Yep. And then, of course, his sister, who doesn't say anything the entire movie. And I had two thoughts on this. Yeah. What do you think about that? Yeah. This could have either been like a a silent Bob thing, like where they don't say anything the entire movie, but like the one thing they do say is supposed to be super profound. Uh Or it could be a sign of his growth, right? He just ignores everything she says. Those things that she doesn't say aren't important to him until he kind of opens his life up more. Yeah, that's actually I didn't even think about that because you did. It, it did kind of feel like that silent Bob moment of it yeah. was just totally quiet. And then all of a sudden she did say this really profound thing at the very end and it mm-hmm. soaked in. But the fact that this movie is very much through the lens of him, you mm-hmm. get the insight into his life, not the insight exactly. of mom's life or dad's life or Scarlett Johansson's life. He's always the center of what's going on. I don't think there was a single scene in the movie where he wasn't in it, mm-hmm. where it showed Scarlett Johansson. Um, alone for a, a, an extreme extended period of time. It was, he was typically a part of these types of things. Yeah, it really was from his point of view. Yeah, and so maybe it really was this kind of uh, uh, in, uh, directorial intention of he was very closed off to everyone until, and so everybody was quiet to him. And then until later on when he began opening up to what uh, other people were saying to him, either about Scarlett Johansson or about Mm -hmm. his life, or about his relationship, that you got to really hear or feel other people. Definitely. Yeah. And then he kind of does the, uh, I don't remember, oh, he gets gets her name from like the bar, the uh, Scarlett Johansson's character. 
Barbara Sugarman? What what a what a ridiculous name. I was not expecting that name, that's for sure. I was not expecting is, that name. It's so on the nose. Like it's yeah. so on the nose. It's, mm-hmm. it's it's so on the nose yeah. that it's kind of funny. I like I actually Yeah. And I kind of appreciated so, it. Yeah. So after he got that name, what did what what did what did he him and his friends do next? Just do you like, remember? Find him on Facebook, right? Just Yeah. Yeah, totally stalked her out on Facebook. Yeah. And and if I recall, they even um they even made all of these assumptions about her simply on her Facebook page. Yep. Um going through her Facebook page about I, I even recall them making comments about the number of friends that she had and that's how they would plan the type of date that they're going to be asking her on and that type of thing. <laughs> yeah. And uh I wonder if this is really becoming a part of the coupling script, if you will, is mm-hmm. that you do this kind of superficial get to know, whether it's at a bar <laughs> or a club, and then both of you get each other's first and last name, then you go home and you just search the crap out of each other to be able to gain all of this information um, and then make the decision whether it's not whether it's worth pursuing mm-hmm. later on. I literally just read an article called First Comes Love, Then Comes Google about online <laughs> dating. <laughs> like first they kind of like oh start to get them then like their process of like searching people and making sure it's safe yeah yeah it's really fascinating mm-hmm. and i i really wonder if that's um contributing to i think it was scott stanley that kind of dubbed this term of serial mm-hmm. monogamy of how quickly people couple and how serious relationships get i wonder mm-hmm. if technology like this plays a part in this yeah. is you're able to very quickly, and I'm going to say this in quotations, get to know each other yeah. um, more more quickly than it would in asking each other's questions over dinner or lunch, that you're able to find out all of this information, or you think you're finding out all this information just by simply reviewing each other's Facebook profiles. Yeah. And things like Catfish, I don't know if you've ever seen that. It's one of my favorite shows. And they do so much of the, um, the trying to figure out who the person is, and they'll search phone numbers, they'll search Facebook profiles, they search Twitter profiles. They have a few other things like you can search images so you can see if an image online is found somewhere else, if it's someone who's lying about what they look like. Yeah, boy, that's scary, right? Yeah. Yeah. So and I thought that that was really interesting. He finds the name out from the bartender, which I'm not entirely sure how a bartender would know someone's first and last name. But so they 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 know the first last name. Then they the first thing they do is they go home, go on to Facebook, look up as much as they can about her, and then begin making assumptions about um, what it would take based upon what they learned on Facebook to be able to get her to go on a date with them. Right. And so right before this, he has a um, a thing about watching a porn so good that it depresses him, and he's like, you know, nothing will ever be this good in real life. And he's like, maybe it's time to try something new. And at the same time, there was something happening in the porn. I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was something about being in a real relationship. It was just very much setting up that he's kind of having this moment where he, even before any of like the Esther stuff comes up or even the Barbara stuff comes up, he's having this moment where he's like, maybe I need to find something different in life. Maybe I'm not doing this the way I want to. Yeah. And his first instinct is... Barbara, not because, well, partly because of her looks and probably mostly because of her looks, but also not because of anything personality wise about her, except the fact that she wouldn't go home with him, right? And so the fact that he would have to work for it was something that was like, oh, this is something different. This is something that's going to be better. Yeah. Yeah. And it plays in, oh, go ahead. No, no, please finish. I was going to say it plays into this double standard that 
men often have about women, even if they don't think they consciously have it, a lot of times it still kind of exists, that the amount of time it takes for uh, sexual experience to happen kind of is um, correlated with a person's morals or values or um, ability to be a good partner down the road. I was just doing, we're just kind of doing a study on hooking up stuff. This is in the hooking up literature too, I'm assuming, but um, a lot of the men interviewed would say that a woman who would like wait or uh, quote unquote make them work was more appealing for a relationship as opposed to someone who they still want to um, engage with in like a short term way. But that was like a turn off to them for like a romantic relationship. It seems like John's kind of playing that out in his relationship with Barbara as well. Yeah. And even that language that you just use and that I hear a lot is I have to work for it. Right. right yeah. It's so interesting. And that and that f- feeds so many different stereotypes and even skepticism. Right. And you even felt that in the beginning of their relationship when when they were on that first date at that mm-hmm. cafe for lunch or something like that. Mm-hmm. And she was asking, like, really, why did you want to go out to lunch with me? Right. And that skepticism of someone's intentions. Are you yeah. just trying to bed me? Are you really looking for a long term relationship? And so I think this even the language such as I have to work for it very much feeds into that belief or skepticism by both partners of what someone's intentions here. Is it just to have sex with me and then they're out the next day? Uh-uh. Or um, or is it to have sex with me X amount of times or do you do some type of sexual act? And then I'm, I'm you know, I'm ghosting. I'm out of here. Right. And so, um, yeah, it's really, really interesting. And it it. it my I, my wife uh, at this point in this movie, when she saw this, she called it scheming, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Of um, she we paused the movie and she just goes, "I hate him so much right now." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, I felt like that really highlighted this really important aspect of of can we trust someone's intentions? Is some mm-hmm. is it playing the game, working the system just mm-hmm. to get sex? Yeah, it's very fits into that cultural narrative that we see in media all the time about like if men want to have sex with women, they have to like trick them into it. Yeah, which is yep. just an awful message to send, and it plays yes. into like that Barney Stinson from How I Met Your Eric, How I Met Your Mother type character of like mm-hmm. I have to do anything I can to kind of like trick a woman into having sex with me because they wouldn't want to have sex with me otherwise. Yeah, yeah, lying, deceiving. Yeah. Um, I mean, I uh, uh, um going to school like he did, like going yeah. to classes, like that type of stuff um, is is really kind of crazy, really kind of crazy. Yeah, and there's a scene later, um, kind of changing tracks a little bit, but there's a scene later where he's going to, turns on his computer to masturbate and he masturbates to her instead of the porn. And I wonder if like for him, this was like, oh, maybe I'm changing. Like maybe I'm moving in a different direction. Maybe this is that something different I've been looking for. And it's kind of funny because it's a little, um, that would be kind of a naive thought in one way, but also it's like, he's trying to figure things out. Like he's trying to figure out what it is he's looking for. And like, maybe he thought this was like the way to go about doing it. Yeah. I thought that scene was really odd, right? It was really, it was The scene right before it is the most odd with the going to school and kind of like the, the, uh, grinding in the hallway thing, Mm -hmm. Uh, which ruins all his pants, which is sad. (laughs) (laughs) and it's funny because i talked earlier about how status is so important to him in terms of like how he presents his car how he presents his body 
um, and things like that. But job status is not important to him, but it's very important to her. And this is like yeah. the first time where his status was like called into question by her because like that it very much seems like that's what she's looking for to someone who's like going to have a certain status. And we'll get to some of that later, too. But um, this yeah, is like well, the one place where it's different for him. Yeah, well, and that status very much shows when they were in the supermarket and I think she was shopping for drapes or blinds mm-hmm. or something yeah, like yeah. that. And he talked about how we needed to go pick up Swiffer pads, <laughs> yeah. um, which once we discovered in our household, we haven't gone back. The Swiffer is fantastic. <laughs> um, and uh, so and she that was just appalling to her yeah. is how dare someone degrades themselves to the uh, to the place where they clean their own apartment. I thought that was so interesting in regards to what she held as important as status. That status to her was was job that that you don't clean and and it seems like it wasn't even a gender thing for her. It wasn't men don't clean, women clean, right? Which is that awful stereotype stereotype that we hold in our society. Absolutely. But that but that it's it's when you that a status of cleaning period means that you can't afford a housekeeper right. or can't afford someone that can do these degrading things for her, yeah. like. Uh, and where he took a lot of pride in it. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So uh, I think it, it, it showed, I, I felt like early on, you got a view that status was very important to him. And then when you see Scarlett Johansson, I felt like it was almost kind of bait and switch. You didn't really understand how important status was to her, but you learn that later on that, yeah. that they maybe aren't so different after all. Yeah. And they just like, they're so involved on status, but on different things in this case. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. And I do you remember the birthday party too with the princess birthday party. <laughs> that was yeah. like the first time I was like, oh, this is this is pretty bougie going on. Like her life is like very much about like the status and like being seen a certain way. Like her family is probably like that as well. We don't get a huge view into her family, but it looks. Like yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Let's get into the. Um, so he does have sex with Barbara at one point. Um, and he kind of still is kind of at this point where it's like, even though she's the best ever, that it still wasn't good. That was good. Thank right you. There. I'm, you not gonna do it. I'm not going to do that again. <laughs> um, it still wasn't on the same level. And uh, I was watching porn and then he goes to watch porn and is immediately caught. Like first time is caught and they have the first argument. Um, and then it kind of plays into that argument later on. So let's start. Let's let's talk about both kind of arguments as a whole, as opposed to kind of like talk about this one, talk about the other one later. Um, what are your kind of impressions from their interactions regarding pornography? Yeah. So um, what I thought about a lot is is kind of going back to our original conversation of what porn is, how do we define porn, but then also the values that we have around porn. Is porn a big deal? Is it not a big deal? Is it okay in some circumstances and not okay in other circumstances? Um, And I felt like you got this clash of values, right, where he was viewing porn and he made up an excuse that a friend sent to him as a joke that, um, and he even said something like, oh, losers look at porn. You know, I don't look at porn, only losers look at porn. 
and convinces her that it, it won't happen again. It was stupid. I don't look at porn. The last time I looked at porn was when I was like a kid or whatever. Right. And so, um, a couple of things this feeds into this stigma, if you will, that everybody's viewing porn, but nobody wants to talk about it. It's a, a taboo right. topic. Yeah. And um, he brings that one. up in the second argument that it's like, everybody, everybody watches it. Yeah. Yeah. Yet he's yeah. keeping it a secret from mm -hmm. his partner. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then, uh, so that it's a taboo topic. Number two, that it should happen individually. It's not, and it's not a big deal. And then, um, and then number three is, um, is that he, oh, I totally just spaced what I was going to say. We'll just stick with those two for now. <laughs> <laughs> That's totally fine. And, you know, I was watching this, um, my fiance brought up a point about this kind of idea of all guys watch porn, right? Uh, it's like seen as an excuse for kind of like keeping this behavior that would be potentially harming their partner secret. And she asked, is there like a narrative about women in the same way? And I couldn't think of anything. A, a narrative about a topic that would could potentially be harmful between a couple that's kind of kept secret, but it's still kind of, it's what's secretive, but it's that understood everyone does it kind of thing. Yeah, I don't know if there's anything like that um, in regards to women, yeah. specifically for like uh, heterosexual relationships, right? right I don't right. know. Yeah, I really don't know. And you know, this is <clears throat> so one of my uh, favorite studies that I was a part of it was with myself and a few other collaborators here. It was titled The Porn Gap. And um, what I loved about this is, um, is we surveyed thousands and thousands of individuals, both that are single as well as in couple relationships. And, um, and what was really, really fascinating about this is we found lots of things. Number one, that pornography is, is fairly frequently in heterosexual couples, a, uh, a conflict that they have concerns about it. They're trying to figure out what porn means for the relationship. Okay. But then one of the most fascinating pieces of, of our findings, and this is where that gap comes from was we had them, both men and women in these relationships, report their porn use patterns, right? And then we had them answer a question about how often do you think your partner is viewing porn? And what was fascinating about this is that men generally had a fair, on average, had a fairly good grasp of what, how often their, their, their female counterparts were viewing porn. They were pretty accurate. However, when it came to women, predicting their men's porn use and how frequently they were generally speaking way off. They thought their men were rarely, if never viewing porn. And yet their, their male counterparts were viewing porn quite frequently. It was a substantial gap between the two. And that shows two things. Number one, it's secretive. Number one, number two, it's about men. Right. And then number three, um, that, uh, women seemingly, were more open about their porn use patterns when they yeah. did view porn and men were much more secretive about it. Yeah. That's really interesting. Cause you know, when I think about the secretive nature of porn, you think it's kind of more universal, this kind of, I'm thinking especially about like the way we view masturbation, mm -hmm. especially like growing up and how a lot of times the messages about masturbation are very negative. Mm -hmm. And I just kind of am uh, equating masturbation and porn here, but yeah. 
um, it doesn't seem like that same level of secrecy stays on or stays with uh, women as they get older in relationships. Whereas like, sounds like in the study for men, some of those messages about masturbation being negative and like watching porn being negative kind of like sticks to them to the point where they are being secretive about it later. Yeah. Yeah. And in the same study, so there's kind of this belief um, generally that, that men or others view porn as a substitute or a placeholder for sex. Yeah. And in this movie and Don John, you see that it is definitely not the case, right? That um, he is having sex with multiple women or even one woman and still viewing porn a lot. So you see that in that movie that, that, that those two are not dichotomous. Yes, absolutely. And I think that there is research, not necessarily on porn use, but masturbation and mm -hmm. sex. So you'd think for a lot of people, they would think that those things would be negatively correlated, right? The more you have sex, maybe the less you masturbate. There's actually a positive correlation in those two things. So like the more a person is having sex, oftentimes the more they're masturbating as well. Yeah, and again, and, and masturbating different than porn, but it, it's the same idea of just like, having this, you know, sexual um, experience is kind of more likely to trigger wanting more sexual experiences as opposed to like replacing a previous sexual experience. They're very different. Yeah. 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 And, and, and similar patterns in, in, in um, the body of research right now in regards to porn is that those that are single and those that are in a relationship, porn is viewed in similar frequencies. It's a bit less for those that are in relationships. Mm -hmm. And this is on average, right? So I'm not saying that if if uh, you were single, you're you view, uh, definitely and always viewing the same amount of porn that when you're in a relationship. But on average, that, um, that, that men predominantly are viewing porn in similar types of frequencies and rates that when they were single as when they were in a relationship. It's, it's really kind of crazy. So it, it breaks that myth that 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 porn is a placeholder for real sex. Right. Absolutely. And another interesting point that comes up during this argument is kind of equating the porn movies to romantic comedies that Barbara enjoys watching. Yeah. Yeah. Which what was, do you think about that? My wife had some interesting thoughts about it. What do you think about that? So I think it, um, gosh, I had a thought about this yesterday. So I think it's interesting in the sense that the way she interpreted those movies has to do with it being one-sided, right? The guy will do anything for the girl because he truly loves her. That's how she saw those movies mm -hmm. and how he sees porn as the guy or the, it's one-sided, right? It's everything's done for, for the guy. And I think they both viewed it that way. Um, so him viewing sex that way and her viewing relationships that way. And I think that is an interesting comparison in itself. Um, and I think there are definitely some narratives given off by both that can be harmful either way, right? So, so there's some harmful narratives in romantic comedy movies sometimes, or romantic movies, and there's definitely some harmful narratives about what sex is in porn. Yeah. Um, but that was kind of, those were my thoughts on it, but because I don't, uh, let me just, why don't you go ahead? Yeah, yeah. So uh, what initially came to my mind is is how does media socialize us and how we interact with our partners? Right. For better or for worse, right? Um, is there's plenty of romantic comedies that send narratives and social and socialize us in a way that this is what relationships, optimal relationships, look like or should look like that aren't necessarily bad, and um, but there's some that are uh, potentially harmful, and it's the same thing with porn, and and this is why 
Um, I think porn can be particularly dangerous um, when individuals view porn at a very young, young age, prior to appropriate education, prior to really fully understanding what porn is, is they think they equate real life sex is porn. Absolutely. Right. And, 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 and sex and porn, um, as we know, it's, it's actors that are carrying it out. And many times a 20 minute scene takes hours to put together. There's cuts, there's breaks, there's that type of thing. Um, and so that's what I worry about that when young adolescents are viewing porn and don't fully understand maybe what sex is, let alone their own sexuality. They're seeing these acts and these gestures and they think this is what real life sex is. Right. And then similar to Don John, he thinks this is the, what I should be striving for actually right. in real life. And, mm-hmm. and it will never happen. It will never happen. I even think there's a line in there that says something along the lines of why aren't real girls like the girls in porn? Yeah. And he says and, no girl will ever do like the money shot. And yeah, no girl yeah. will ever do this. So. Yeah. And so um, and that's what that's what's really, really concerning to me about pornography is 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 how it's socializing us to believe certain mm-hmm. things about sex and what yeah. sex should be like. That is not there's there's not mutual pleasure. Mm-hmm. Um, in many cases, uh, most of pornography is is very coercive and in some cases violent and domineering. Mm-hmm. It's male focused. Yeah. Um, like I said, not mutual pleasure. And then just simply not realistic. Yeah. It's like watching a sci-fi movie and thinking it's real life in some cases. Yeah, I, I don't remember who said this, but I saw this on Twitter a while ago and it stuck with me. Porn is like a car chase scene in a movie. It's exciting to watch, but not how you really drive. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, like in Fast and Furious when they take that car underneath the semi and they swing yeah. all the way through. Yeah, exactly. And it's important to note that like the way porn is done is intended to look aesthetically pleasing. Like mm-hmm. it's not even about not being mutual pleasure. It's not even pleasurable. Probably, I'm sure it's pleasurable in some ways, but it's not like meant to be the way things they're doing are not done for the pleasure of either person. It's meant to be aesthetically pleasing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's meant to like camera. entertain. Yeah, exactly. And you don't want to equate that with what sex should or should not look like. And I think that, you know, different people have different likes. And I think that porn can be an opportunity for people to find things that they wouldn't necessarily know in other situations or to kind of like um, learn that certain things are okay to like. I think there might be a lot of shame in some like fetish or BDSM type stuff, but being able to see it in a way that's um, portrayed as normal can be really helpful. But again, going back to the message that sends, especially mainstream porn and the porn they're talking about that he's watching because porn is very diverse in how it's presented but the porn that he's specifically talking about in like the very mainstream the thing you think about when you think porn probably first off definitely Mm -hmm. sends a lot of messages about how gender plays out how sex should look like and it plays into how he was having sex so they some of the sex scenes he was very much like i don't have know how to describe it sort of like the jackhammer type sex like speed and like forceful in terms of how he's doing it. And later he gets kind of, he learns that that's not necessarily what people are looking for. Um, But he very much internalized that message about that being how sex is. And to his, like he, he knows that things like the money shark aren't real, but he still is internalized his other parts. And he doesn't really, like he has to like make these decisions on what he thinks is real and it's not. And he doesn't have another point to look at to say like, oh, maybe this is more realistic. 
Yeah. Yeah. And so that socialization, I think, can be can be potentially very dangerous, yeah. very, very dangerous, especially for those that don't have a grasp that that sex and porn is possibly not like real sex and it's not reflective of real sex. And uh, so I'm thinking about young, um, you know, 10, 11, 12, 13 year olds that yeah. are viewing maybe. Uh, different types of porn and thinking this is what sex is and it's and it's really not that way and 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 I worry about how, what that sets them up for expectations what they look for in partners what they think a relationship will then look like let alone just the uh, many of the different types of messages that are sent that can be quite objectifying of individuals and pornography mm-hmm. um, that it's not about any type of relationship in that sense it's very much just demeaning. Um, and degrading in some cases, and there's some really scary stuff out there. And that's and that socialization part is is what can be scary. And there's there's some that even make the argument that that's that that poor that um, poor socialization is is what we need to address in pornography. So really, we just need to put more realistic sex yeah. out there in porn, and that's what will help solve this problem. That that doesn't include degrading acts. That's mutual, yeah. pleasurable, and that is actually reflective of what real sex is like. And really cool thing real quick, there's a website and I'm trying to remember exactly what it's called. I was reading about, I think it's kink.com, K-I-N-K.com. Mm-hmm. And there, it's all it's it's mostly BDSM from what I understand. And all of their scenes come with an intro and an exit scene where they introduce the idea of consent and what they're gonna be doing and then wow. debrief afterwards. And Interesting. It, so even though it's wow. very like, if you were to just watch, if a, if a person who is like not initiated to some of these things were to watch, they might think it might be very degrading and things like that. But it's something that they establish the consent and talk about before and after and kind of like really allow for things that, you know, in a vacuum wouldn't look good or might be demeaning. But it really allows um, people to see kind of the realistic parts of something like BDSM. Yeah. Wow. That's really interesting. That's yeah. Really, really interesting. I thought that was really cool. It was in a, um, I'm trying to remember exactly what the, the name of the book is. It's something like the feminist porn book or something like that. Hmm. Wow. That's really fascinating. And yeah. I, I wonder if you'll see more of that in, in the coming years. I, mm-hmm. I, yeah, yeah, we'll see. Yeah. Um, so let's get into him meeting Esther. Cause that's really where, things start to change. Esther's really the agent of change in this movie. She's kind of what, so he starts to kind of like try to figure out what he wants on his own and kind mm-hmm. of struggles. And she really is kind of the catalyst that helps get him there. So she's, yeah. she's kind of manic pixie dream girl in some aspects, but I think she does have her own like life and her own things that they bring up, which kind of like allows her to be her own person within this narrative, which was good. Um, so um. What's kind of your reaction to the development and things that go on between John and Esther? Yeah, um, I don't know. So first off, um, I love her as her character. I think she's hilarious. She's super fun. She's got this kind of dry sense of humor wit about her. Um, and, uh, I just, she's just, uh, uh, I, I feel like a delight to have in the movie. I just think she's fun. She is. Um, and refreshingly honest and transparent, which I feel like you don't necessarily get with uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's and Scarlett Johansson's characters, because it's all about that 
facade, the presentation, how they're perceived. And he lies a lot during this movie. Yes. He lies about not watching sex to his priest, which it's a confession. Like no one's like, that's the whole point of the confession. Anyway, he lies <laughs> yeah. to himself. He lies to his, I'm, I'm like 90% sure he's lying to his friends when he says like, she'll let me do quote unquote, whatever I want mm-hmm. to her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I definitely don't get that sense. Cause early you find out she like refuses to do oral sex and like, mm-hmm. like I, I have a hard time imagining that all of a sudden, like now he can do anything he wants. Yeah. Uh, and again, yeah. to her, just interesting in terms of the language. But he lies a lot during this movie, and she's very much the opposite in how honest she is and how, like, about her own feelings and emotions. And that's, like, a big thing at the beginning when she sees her crying, but also in terms of, like, how she interacts with him. She's very honest, like, with him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I I really liked her as a character. I feel like she kind of pulls this honesty out of him in some type of way. um, Where she is somehow, I think you said, like, bridging this um making him more congruent i think maybe is the best yeah. word yeah making um, him where, yeah. yeah no sorry go ahead no, i was just gonna say making him kind of pull away from those status pressures that he had before so he was mm-hmm. trying to escape before he's trying to escape from this idea of like i have to be a certain way when she helps him escape from who he's supposed to, from those messages of who he's supposed to be by allowing him to kind of be himself and be more congruent yeah, and he was originally turned off by that, right? Yes, very much Like so. seeing someone vulnerable and crying in the doorway when he first saw her was like such a put off for him where he even like, you could tell, contemplated like not going into class that day just so he wouldn't have to confront this person that was crying in the doorway. Yeah. And then finally, and he just walked right past her. And then when she approached him later on to apologize for that incident, he was he was very put off by her honesty, put off by her just, uh, owning who she was and how vulnerable she was. And I think that was just very foreign, seemingly foreign to him and uncomfortable. So he just avoided it. Yeah. And I think porn was something that was like very important to him for that getaway kind of situation. And it made me think about, um, have you heard the concept of flow before? Mihalai, Shaksa Mihalai is his name, I think. Talks about flow. It's kind of like being in the zone when you're doing something you like so much. Yes, yes, yes. yes. You're like doing something you like so much that you're just kind of like in the zone. You're kind of like everything kind of like flates away. You're just kind of like you don't keep track of time very well. Yeah. And you know whether and we can talk about porn addiction later. Whether it's like an addiction for him or not, like that's his way of getting into that zone. Mm -hmm. And she kind of shows him a new way to get there because that flow or that ability to kind of be in the zone like that is. very highly correlated with like overall just like happiness and like well-being and all these things that has so many positive like outcomes that like he might have very much needed that porn for a while but she kind of like showed him a different way yeah 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 and um so along that and and maybe this is skipping to the end here that's all right is is one of the things that i found very puzzling about this movie was it seemed like when he was watching porn, he was looking for something, right? Yeah. And I think it was described as melting away or losing myself during sex or something yeah. like that. And so it was a matter of finding, quote, the right girl to fill that need. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden when that, quote, perfect right girl came along, then he was just fine. And um, that didn't necessarily sit well with me because of because of a couple of things. Number one, it reinforces this idea that there is 
that there is the, the one, right? That chosen one. And, and you have to spend your whole life finding that one person out of the six, seven billion people in the world, that one person. And then once you find that one person, everything will just be perfect. Yeah. All of your problems will melt away, addictions, issues, and everything will just fall into place. And that's not true. Right. It was and, because yeah. it's a movie, he has to have change very, very quickly. And of I'm course. trying to like, I, I try to like reconcile that, <laughs> but just the fact that the catalyst for change has to be her. Mm-hmm. And it has to happen that quickly. Like his entire life has to just completely change because of her. Yeah. It's a little, uh, yeah, it's kind of a harmful it's, narrative in that sense. Yeah. And I feel like it could potentially that t- same type of narrative, which we see in all types of movies, right? Absolutely. Romantic comedies, romantic movies, even horror movies. I mean, we see this narrative of finding that one. And once we find the one, then we'll be totally fine. Um, is is dangerous for us to internalize because that puts a lot of pressure on on coupling, right? And then think about you being with someone for a few months or a few years, and you even thinking like, is this really the one? Is it that one person? Like you could really psych yourself out, and then all Absolutely. of a sudden, instead of partnering with a really great person, you're continuing to jump from relationship to relationship to find that one soulmate. Mm-hmm. And that's dangerous. It can put a lot of pressure and anxiety on couples, individuals, as they search for that one. And it plays into probably why people have things like affairs and things like that, too. If they run into someone who, like, can give them something that they're, like, could be magical because, you know, it's not it's not real yet. Like, have you seen the show Grace and Frankie at all? Uh, I've seen, I haven't seen oh, episode upon episode, but I've seen parts of it. They do an amazing job of, so the the storyline is that these two men are married to women and they've been having an affair for 30 years or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then they finally kind of break things off with their wives and get together. And mm-hmm. they, the show does an incredible job of, even though they had been having this relationship with for like 30 years, it was so idealized because they weren't together. And once they get together, they have so many more conflicts and fights and things get so much harder and it, like they had this idealization of what their life could be like together mm. and it could like be the one and kind of fulfill this, like fix everything for them. But really yeah. it's like, once it gets real, like other things come up. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, it's, um, it's even, I wonder if this is even a part of uh, that detective work that we talked about earlier on about mm-hmm. Facebook yeah. and social media is that puts even more pressure of I need to find out everything I can before things get too serious because I need to make sure that this is the one, right? Definitely. And even I think w- it was within um, one month of being with her is you could hear him talking about the word, throwing that big L word around, right? Yeah. Love and that this is the one, right? And spending a long time with and so I, I just feel like that narrative of soulmates and that once we find that soulmate, all things, there won't be any more problems. I just look into her eyes and the world melts away. Nothing matters. All of my issues and concerns are just zapped away. Man, and then you get into a real relationship with someone you care about. And yeah, it's really magical and great. But then you hit hiccups as all couples do. Right. And then what do you do? That yeah. obviously then says, well, since we're having an issue, this is not the one. And so we got to split. That's a scary narrative. Yeah. Also about the looking, like looking at each other's eyes saying, did he really have to like compare it to like the watching board? It really gets me hot after like, <laughs> I thought that was a little weird. It was <laughs> like, that was a little weird. It's like 
I, I guess it makes sense in the fact that like it's showing growth, but he's still the same in some ways, maybe. I don't know. But like I just yeah. thought that was kind of a weird a weird line. Yeah. I think it was the movie's way of like trying to tie it all together in some yeah. capacity. Yeah, for sure. That he found what he was looking for. Also, yeah. side note, I love the good vibration scene. And I oh bet Oh my gosh. That was like one of my favorite where he's jamming out yeah, going down the road the and then he gets to the stop sign and somebody's there and he stops. <laughs> You know, once again, maintaining that cool image. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He rocks out again. Yeah. It totally, I kind of thought it was a callback to 500 Days of Summer. I don't know if you thought the same thing. Have you seen that? Yes, I love that. After he, like, has sex with someone for the first time and does, like, the dance number. It's a different song, obviously, but, like, I feel like that was such a callback to that. (laughs) Yeah, I love it. And it was so interesting of, out of all the songs, it was Good Vibrations. Yeah. And that it wasn't, like, some modern-day hip-hop song or a mainstream song, right? It was Good Vibrations that he was rocking. It was great. Definitely, definitely. It was... uh, I think it was on his way to church, right? It was, yeah. If I recall correctly. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That was great. Yeah, but you really start to see him kind of like creating his own identity by the end of it. Part of that yeah. is signified by changing his hair, I guess. Mm-hmm. Part of it's mm-hmm. signified by him like talking to his mom about breaking up with Barbara and talking to his dad and like about how he's going to be different. And part of that is like him starting to question his priest a little bit too. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's just like him kind of like coming into his own. Like he's not rejecting anything. He's not rejecting family, not rejecting his church, not rejecting whatever. But he's starting to kind of like figure it out for himself. Yeah. So I'm curious. This just popped into my brain. Yeah. Is so we know at the beginning of the movie, he was all about his image, right? Right. The hair was perfect at all times. He always had the perfect outfit on, the perfect physique, right? Mm -hmm. So growing into his own, I wonder, do you think it was symbolic in a way that when it was Esther talked about the, the, I, I like your hair like this when he gets out of the bathtub because it's soft. Mm-hmm. It's usually really hard and crusty. Do you think hard that was sticky. symbolic anyway? Hard and sticky. Do you think Which that was I wrote down anyway? because I thought it was a I thought it was a porn joke. Like she doesn't like it hard and sticky. She wants it like soft and she could run her hair hands through it. Okay, that's really funny. So <laughs> I didn't think it was a porn joke. I actually thought it was more about this idea of becoming vulnerable and yeah. soft and opening up. And, that's much and better. I, yeah, <laughs> maybe a little bit more magical. And, but, but then even um, then even just this idea that when he goes to the gym, that he doesn't have to work on that physique. He's yeah. going and playing basketball. Yeah, that was a good catch. Um, yeah, rather he's than not, working on that perfect bod. He's not going to um, the clubs to quote unquote smash, which again, terrible term. Oh, we, need to change, we need to change our language around sex. It's a whole different um, conversation. But yes. he's like showing that he values his long-term relationship with his friends differently. Mm-hmm. The first yeah. time he had ever gone out for pizza with them after going to the club, like mm-hmm. it wasn't about just going up to like raise your status. It was going to build that relationship with his people, like his people that are most important to him. Yeah. Just yeah. That was fun. Yeah. That was really, really fun. Okay. I've got a question for you. Yeah. Hit me. So, um, so at towards the end of the movie, kind of the big, uh, I, I don't want to say the climax of this, of the movie, but in the sense of the good joke, uh, good, good pod. That's right. Thank you. Is the, um, is the, the pinnacle of the movie in the sense of where she finds out, um, that he's been watching porn this whole time. And, uh, and she says something along the lines of, I wrote it down of you've been having sex with women in porn for the entire time that we've been together. Mm-hmm. So it raises this interesting question of is um, 
is porn and specifically porn within some type of relationship, is this a form of infidelity? What do you think? It's a great question. I think it kind of, as with any kind of infidelity, I think it's very much dependent on the couple. And I think that couples need to be able to have that conversation, not just about pornography, but about like what constitutes emotional cheating, what constitutes physical cheating, like in an open relationship that are still can be cheating that occurs, you know, if the what communication isn't there. If you're breaking the boundaries that were set beforehand by this open relationship, so even though intercourse or sex or something is happening outside the relationship, you know, it, that could be cheating or not cheating, depending on how the couple views it. But it's a matter of like the couple sitting down and talking about what that looks like. That is most important. And I don't know if you had any additional thoughts that you wanted. To yeah, no, I agree. It kind of goes back to this eye of the beholder thing. Right. Of Of how is pornography viewed and valued within the relationship. And that's why I think that, so right now, the current state of the literature about porn is generally speaking, pornography use is is not the best within relationships, that that, uh, porn use has been linked with, in essence, poor outcomes. That's kind of the general feel of all of this, number one. And then number two, but the verdict is still out. Because we're still trying to full, gain a full grasp of really how does porn play out within the relationship? Does it hurt? Does it help? Because there's some literature and research out there that says that porn actually can be helpful in some capacities in education, spicing things up, feeling more uh, self-esteem about one's body image. And so I think the verdict is still out in the sense of is porn really terrible for relationships? Right. So I think the best counsel that we could give to couples when trying to figure out this whole porn thing is is having dialogues about it. What does porn mean? How do we establish boundaries around Mm -hmm. porn? Is is this going to be a relationship where there's no porn? What type of porn is acceptable versus not acceptable? Do we need to have like gatekeeping? If you're going to view porn, it needs to be approved by me first, or do we watch it together? How often? And for what spurts, what what's the reason behind porn use? So I think it really, as you talked about, goes back to having this conversation and 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 getting on the same page with couples. And I'm going to make another pun. It's really important that these conversations are explicit as opposed to implicit. <laughs> oh, yes, because yes. if it's just if it's not talked about directly enough, there's still ambiguity, and the ambiguity could lead to later um, hurt. either end of the couple if it's not talked about uh, clearly. Yes, yes. So I think some of the best advice that we have right now as we're still trying to gain more and more understanding of how porn works within couples and relationships and families, um, is is it really great? Is it really terrible? I think at the bare minimum, there needs to be open, honest, explicit conversations about porn, how we value porn, the boundaries we put around porn, what we look at porn, how we look at porn. Um, that type of thing, because it is, I, I think what's most dangerous is when things become secretive. Um, yeah, and I think that's no matter what it is, when couples become secretive and um, are protective of certain things, I, I feel like that's setting them up for failure. Absolutely. Definitely. So I think there's only one thing left. Do you have any other things that you wanted to bring up or talk about? Before? I think that hit upon a lot of the things that I that yeah. I noticed that I thought was interesting in this movie. Excellent. So I think Related the only... The only thing left to do is to hear your um, your impression of this character. Can you hey, do the accent? Can you do oh, the accent? Oh, man. Oh, I, I, I'm going to totally miss it. Let's give it a shot here. Let's give it a shot. Um, it, it was kind of this, ah, 
I like girls. Come on, come on. She's a dime. I think you sound more like Mario from uh, <laughs> Nintendo than you do. Uh... <laughs> I don't know if that's what you were going for, but uh... I'll take Mario over Luigi. I'll take Mario over Luigi. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> And thanks to you for listening today. If you want to become a part of Relevation Nation and get daily information about romantic relationships, or just want to learn more about Relevate, like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash myrelevate, follow us on Twitter at myrelevate, or on Instagram at instagram.com slash myrelevate. Special thanks to our producer and the composer of our opening music, Denzel Jones. See you next time. about porn use and and how it's you know uh, how it plays out and his relationship with Scarlett Johansson and and the fact that uh, there's secrets and and uh, real girls aren't the same as porn girls and you know and that type of thing but you know it 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 brings us to an interesting point is is if pornography if there's such thing as pornography addiction and this is this is a widely and hotly uh, debated topic um, both within the academic realm as well as just within our society and um, and so the the DSM the diagnostic uh, manual for um, helping professionals, clinicians, psychologists, therapists, um, goes through various different versions, right? And in its most recent version, it was widely debated whether or not pornography addiction should be included in this diagnostic manual, similar to like a gambling addiction and that type of thing. And it ultimately was not included in this. So um, in the sense of the, the clinical realm, it, we can't officially say it's a, there's such thing as a pornography addiction. Um, yet, that doesn't mean that these types of things are real and can happen, but it's just not w uh, accepted widely within the, the clinical community. However, there's is some evidence that indicates that pornography is, in fact, addictive and could be treated as an addiction. Um, and then on the other hand, there's actually quite a bit of supporting evidence as well that says that it's not an addiction um, and it shouldn't be put in that same category as an addiction. So it'll be interesting to see how this pans out. So I think in this movie, we see that it's clearly um, uh, the main character, clearly Joseph, Joseph Gordon-Levitt clearly has some type of habitual problem, right? Um, the fact that, uh, you know, he's telling people he's stopping and he's not. And then even towards the end, he, he tries to stop and you kind of see how difficult it is for him to stop. And it almost kind of seems like this perfect situation that he, he is able to stop. So it's it's just because it's not uh, clinically defined as an addiction doesn't mean that it's not a, an addiction. However, um, it will be. It, it doesn't take away from the fact that there problem that there is such thing as problematic pornography use, where someone's pornography habits and patterns are in, in approaching on their social lives, their relational lives, things of that nature. So. Um, I mean, I myself have seen in my own therapy room uh, many individuals that are really struggling with pornography and they can't 
kick the habit, if you will, or, or stop, and it's affecting their personal relationships, it's affecting their work life, and it seems to be consuming parts of their lives. So there is very much such thing as problematic porn use, and we see this play out uh, quite a bit. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see how our field continues to evolve and understand uh, this problematic porn use, the, the habitual porn use, if you will, um, in the coming years as, as more research is, is put into this topic area, as we understand more about um, uh, how pornography plays out in individuals' lives, um, maybe physiologically um, and then socially within relationships. So it'll be interesting. But I, I do firmly believe that there is such thing as problematic porn use and that there's many people out there that are, are negatively affected by this and are really suffering. And, you know, um, currently our, our body of research as it stands right now, generally speaking, so there's, there's some research out there that indicates that, that pornography is, is not only not as harmful as some may think, but then it also can be helpful in some ways. And then, and then there's also quite a bit of research out there that indicates that pornography use is not linked with the best of individual or relational outcomes. And so it'll be interesting to see um, as we begin to understand more through research about um, uh, how pornography use is linked with, with positive or poor outcomes, as well as how we understand pornography through the lens of an addiction. Um, it'll be interesting to see how our field wrestles with that, how research continues to pan out over the next several years to see if we can officially, officially indicate it as, a, as an addiction in the same way that gambling is, is officially um, designated as an addiction or can be designated as an addiction. So. It'll be interesting to see how this plays out. I'm, I'm excited to, to be a part of this conversation and, and to help this research continue to um, unfold and, and, and over the next several years. <laughs>